Welcome to Family Life Today, presented in cooperation with this station by Power to Change. We hope today's program will give you something to reflect on and to encourage you in your relationships. Our hosts are Dave and Ann Wilson. We've been talking this week with Hilary Ferrer. She's the Mama Bear Apologetics Woman. She uh, helps us answer questions that our kids are asking about God, and it's been some great programs. And if you missed them, Go on to our Family Life Podcast Network and download those and listen to them. But today we wanted to do something a little different with her and actually her husband as well. Yeah, it's fun because Hillary's husband, John, has come into the studio with us. And this is a topic that's really close to my heart of what we're going to talk about today. And it's about women feeling heard and what that really means. And so, you guys, I wanted to bring you in and first ask you, Hillary, just as a woman, can you think of a time in your life that that was hard for you because you felt like, I am not being heard? Yeah. Naturally, if I'm not being heard, I will just talk louder. (laughs) (laughs) Until I'm heard. I think that's common for women, too. Like, someone hear me. John, is that true? You're over there smiling. Oh, Hillary's a unique individual. (laughs) Um, a delicate desert flower. Well, I guess I am that too. But well, I think from an early flower. age, your dad heard you, and yes. that helped you feel heard from early on, and yep. that that really does change the trajectory of your whole life. I mean, yeah. what did that look like? What does that mean? Your dad heard you. So one of the things that like I noticed when I was a kid is I was aware when people were treating me like a child. It's mm. one of those things where I even remember having a crush on a boy when I was a kindergarten or preschool, but I didn't like the way he sat because I thought it looked childish. And I know, like, a four-year-old should not be you, thinking this. You do have an old soul, I yeah. bet. I remember when I would play my with my friends, I thought we were playing like kids. And you didn't like it? Well, no. It's like I thought, well, this is just how kids are supposed to play, but this isn't actually kind of who I am. And I look at kids that age, and I'm like, no, they're actually acting like that because that's who they are. But at the time, I don't know. And so my dad... He took what I said seriously. He he wanted to hear my thoughts. And, and I've talked to him about this later on, that he could tell that when I asked a question, it was coming from a long list of other questions that I'd already, like, you know, I understood how A went to B and B went to C and C went to D, but I couldn't understand how E went to F. And that's where my question would come in on. And so he could see that whole progression of thought mm-hmm. beforehand. And so he really would thoughtfully answer my questions, treat me like I had important thoughts. He heard you. Yeah, he did. And he he treated me as, you know, with the unique giftings that I had and didn't mind me asking questions. And not only did he not mind me asking questions, he encouraged me to ask more questions. And Mm -hmm. even now, he's still like this. John Mm -hmm. will always joke about when he's out to, you know, dinner or something with us. So, you know, if one of us has a question, it's just a, you know, shot in the dark who's going to whip out their phone first to try to find the answer to it. (laughs) Because we're just, we're question askers. Uh, We're interested in the same thing. So I I think he, he made me feel very heard and like my thoughts were important. But I remember this was not the case with my peers. Mm. I never felt heard by my peers. In fact, I think I distinctly felt rejected by my peers because, number one, a lot of them weren't really thinking or asking the same questions as I was. But there was something about me that uh, especially girls tended to reject. Mm. And I remember, like, uh, I was a, a cheerleader, and they, we'd be having some problem, like, you know, a stunt or something like that, the, or a choreography, and I would say, hey, guys, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it's like no one would hear it until the really pretty popular one would say it, and everybody's like, oh, that's 
that's a great idea. And I'm like, yeah, that would have been great if we'd listened to me 10 minutes ago. <laughs> um, and so, but I just kind of grew up knowing that probably girls didn't hear me. Hmm. And people my age didn't hear me. It wasn't until I got to college when I started interacting with people who kind of were like choosing to be in that conversation. But um, what did that feel like with your peers? That's quite a while. That there's something different, that there was something wrong with me and that I needed to keep myself in check because who I was was annoying. Hmm. And I didn't want to be annoying to people. There's something about who I was that was wrong. Hmm the LGBT machine or whatever you want to call it has capitalized on this idea of kids feeling out of sync, number one, with their gender and two, with their peers and saying, if this is how you're feeling, we have the answer for you. And what would I have done when I was young if someone said, if you feel like this, well, there's a whole group of us that feel this way and we have the solution for where you can fit in. Mm. It's very possible that I could have gone down that route. But I think a lot more people than we even recognize. I think even sometimes the pretty and popular girls feel unheard and unseen because who knows if who they're portraying is the real person. I think in my life, I felt like my dad didn't hear me. Mm. And being the youngest of four, I felt like my brothers were certainly heard. Yeah. But I was trying to get my dad's attention and trying to perform so he would hear me or see me. Yeah. And so maybe I felt like my peers heard me. But to have that gaping wound of my dad never hearing me, yeah. it's interesting that we both had it in different places. Yep. But the result was the same. Yeah. Kind of that, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Then I'm not being heard. And that's hard. Tell me about when you really felt like God hears me. I'm thinking of Psalm 34:17 that says the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. I think one particular time when I knew the Lord just didn't hear me, but he was really making a point to say, I see you and everything that's about to happen is with my knowledge. It's not because I've forgotten you. And that was before I was diagnosed with cancer, which Mm. was back in 2010. I'd been having pain for about a year and didn't know where it was coming from. And as it got worse and worse, I remember at this one point before I started having some of the, the tests that finally did reveal what was going on, Every little tiny prayer I prayed, the Lord answered. Oh. It was stuff like, um, I need a parking space, please, you know, because I just didn't feel well enough to walk in somewhere. Or at the time, um, I worked as a, a teacher, and in the summer times I tutored, so I was just like, I can't do this today. I need them to cancel, and they would cancel. Or I had previously been a photographer, and, oh, I have this photo shoot that I'm supposed to do. Please let them cancel, and it would rain. And what did so that feel like? That felt like the Lord getting my attention, saying, whatever you're about to walk through is under my full knowledge because I think suffering knowing that the Lord is walking through it with you is different than suffering and feeling like it's because the Lord's like oh I didn't realize what was going on there hold on let me let me he was completely in control of it and he wanted to get my attention to show me I am listening to you right now Hmm. and so that was one of the things that gave me peace so that when that diagnosis of cancer did come down Instead of it being like this bomb that rocked my world, it was more like I saw a tornado from really far away and I was just starting to strap myself in and be like, okay, it's about to get bumpy. Let's prepare for it. And then when it comes, you're like, yep, this is what I prepared for. I felt really blessed that he kind of gave me a heads up. And it might have been because I was listening for that. You oh, know, yeah. I don't know if my experience is different than other people's or why, but... um That was a time that I really felt like the Lord was getting my attention. We talked about a little bit 
how many times in marriage women don't feel heard. And honestly, for us, one of the loneliest times for me was in our marriage. Mm -hmm. And I've heard other women say that as well. But you did not say that. (laughs) I'm the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about that. So I like to tell my husband uh, that verse that talks about husbands live with your wives in understanding. That's what your PhD should be in. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Give John's background a little bit. Let's just brag on him. Yes. So like I had forgotten about my love of apologetics before we got married. and, And so when he and I first started interacting, it kind of sparked that love again. And I think he could see everything. All this ministry that I'm doing now is probably more of a surprise to me than it is to him because he saw this in me back when we were dating. Like how how long ago? They've been married 15 years. 2006. Yeah, so 2006. Yeah, our our first date was an apologetics conference. (laughs) (laughs) William Lane Craig, God Time and the Cosmological Argument. I mean, you really went to a... I thought you were talking about your conversation. We really you went, went to, to a, an apologetics conference. As our first date. As oh, our first wow. date. But we lived on opposite sides of the country. I was in South Carolina at the time, having just finished up or about to finish up my Masters of Divinity at Southern Evangelical Seminary, and she was in California. So we weren't going to, you know, happen across each other at a coffee shop <laughs> uh, in, I don't know, Missouri or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't meet in the middle there, so we had to meet online. And that's that's a big risk. Anybody who's dated before knows that mm. distance relationships where you haven't met in person, there's a big risk. But we got to see each other's writing and, and, yeah. get, oh. and our minds mingled before we ever met in person. And, and John, you I have, fell in love with her that way. You have your MDiv, you have your PhD. Mm-hmm. So you both love learning. Yeah. You mm-hmm. love apologetics. Mm-hmm. You love scripture theology. So you saw that part of Hillary. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to pull that out. Well, I think part of what it means to be heard is to be seen and to be valued. Mm. When you see them and value who they are, then those little acknowledgments that you're hearing them, they mean so much more. But if someone's just nodding, saying, yep, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, I hear you, sure thing, right away, it doesn't sound like you're really hearing them, even if they're listening. You know, you might distinguish between hearing and listening, something like that. Mm. but as a husband, part of what I can do to really hear Hillary is to acknowledge that I see her. I see where she's at. I see where she's coming from. And I value who she is and where she's at. And, and what her... I'm good at. You, yeah. you were able to pull out things. So I like people to know that John basically was in grad school for 12 years to do what I'm doing now. So an MDiv is a pretty, I mean, that's a 120-hour program. That's, some that's, of them are shorter. Mine some of them are shorter. Being, His was 120 yeah graduate level hours onto a THM and then onto a PhD. And I was all prepared to be the little wifey poo that was, you know, following him around to apologetics conferences and the professor's wife having the kids over, you know, after class for worldview discussions and all that stuff. But because our uh, once I got cancer, our, all our employment decisions revolved around who had health care. And so when all the professor jobs went to adjuncts that didn't have health care, he had to sacrifice basically his academic trajectory in order to be at a job that would provide me health care to the point of where my now Dr. John, Dr. Ferrer, is working on a manufacturing line making windows and now doors, supporting me and to not make me feel guilty for basically doing this ministry and doing whatever. He always talked about how you're so, so going into marriage, we recognize that everybody has to figure out 
what their marriage is going to look like beneath the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And I see Hillary and going into marriage, I knew she's my garden and whatever public ministry I, I may have, if I fail at home, I failed. Mm. My first and foremost job as a husband is to make sure that my garden flourishes and to invest and bless her. So seeing her as someone to cultivate and see her ministry flourish that's a blessing to me. We're on the same team. Yeah. It's us against the world when it when it comes down to it. That's something he says to me all the time is like if we're just frustrated with each other, he'll just be, we're on the same team, Hill. We're on the same team. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at you, John, thinking, okay, here's a dude with a Ph.D., like you said, 12 years of graduate school, and you're not telling anybody that. You're not, like, jumping in front of Hillary going, hey, 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 by the way. You didn't say, hey, I'm Dr. John Career <laughs> I mean, today. You're... Well, people start acting weird around me when I say I'm a doctor. <laughs> well, some of them want to show me some, you know, rash and ask me if it's normal. But then I have to clarify, okay, not that kind of doctor. <laughs> but once they realize I've got this ministry training and I've got this theological training, they change their language. They change their body language. They start acting fake around me. And I don't get to meet the real person. Not to mention there's a higher standard of expectations. They expect me to never do stupid stuff. (laughs) Even if you've got a Ph.D., you know, you still forget where you leave your keys every once in a while. (laughs) But let me ask you this. When you watch Hillary thrive in what God's given her and created in her and through her in Mama Bear Apologetics in her ministry, what does that do to you? When my garden flourishes, I consider that an honor to the gardener. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at what Hillary does and I'm reminded of one of these lessons within the Henry Blackaby Experiencing God series that I did back in high school. Mm-hmm. Find where God is working and join him there. Right. I've tried to do different kinds of ministry things, you know, writing and speaking, debates, preaching, teaching, all sorts of different things. And, you know, God's blessed that. But nothing like what I've seen here, Hmm. nothing like what I've seen with Mama Bear. And there's a real need there. She's not just doing something that she enjoys. She's addressing a very thirsty ground with life-giving water. And there's a lot of women out there who felt marginalized in the whole apologetics community and thus disempowered when it comes to training up their kids. But when she says mama bear apologetics, it's like a light goes off. They get it because they recognize, oh, I'm defending the faith by defending my family. And you don't have to revert to football and military analogies all the time and go into, (laughs) you know, stereotypically masculine framing for it all to do apologetics. You can do apologetics in a deeply feminine way because there's nothing so feminine and yet fierce Mm. as a mama bear protecting her cubs. Mm -hmm. That's not a compromise of her femininity. That's an exercise of it. And she's been able to to develop that concept and to unleash it into the world. And I think part of it's because I can be by her side and she can she can run an idea by me. Mm -hmm. We can we can interact over this stuff. And she's that much more empowered because of that. It reminds me of when we were uh, with Howard Hendricks' wife, Jeannie. He was a Dallas professor. And we were all like, he had this big personality. Mm -hmm. Jeannie was a little more quiet. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, Jeannie, what's it like to be married to Howard when he's so big? And do you ever feel lost? And do you ever feel forgotten? Or do you feel like you've lost your voice? Mm -hmm. And she was, she's just calm and cool. And she goes, oh, girls, girls, 
I know something about Howard that nobody knows. You know, we're all like, tell us. We're on the edge of our speech. Yes, yes, here, here it comes. And she goes, Howard would be nothing without me. And we're all like, yes, it's so true. And John, what you're saying is the same thing. Like, I'm the wind beneath I'll those. I'll say it. Yes. I will say it. This ministry would not have gone anywhere without John. So first I thought, well, it'll be a blog and maybe we'll do some podcasts. I did not feel confident enough to even post anything because I thought as soon as I post someone, someone's going to poke a hole in the logic and say, well, you haven't thought about this. But knowing that John had the background that he has, I would run everything I wrote by him. And I never thought I was going to have original thoughts. I I even thought, well, you know, my I guess my goal is going to be to present the same things that everybody else is presenting, but just presenting it, you know, for moms. But And Hillary, your podcast is like at the top. Like oh. you are doing so well. <laughs> that's amazing considering that we didn't record for like at all last year. <laughs> so that's just a testament that the Lord is working in this. So having John be able to kind of be that second set of eyes that are an educated set of eyes, knowing that if I'm saying something stupid that someone else has already said and some 13th century philosopher already addressed this, he'll know about it. And so I would run it by him and put it on there. But it got to the point where I realized I was saying things that he hadn't heard anyone else say. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, I thought, well, maybe I do have original thoughts. And the way that I piece together information is just different than the way other people have, which, you know, right there is how maybe I've had a a disconnect maybe with some of my peers because it is a different way. But you're funny. You're funny when you do (laughs) it. Well, speaking of being heard, you've got a unique voice. And I don't know that you realize early on that what you offered uh, was different from what's out there. Yeah, I don't think I did, but you were doing did. practical apologetics, mm-hmm. and I've read a lot of apologetics. I've I've interacted with a lot of apologists. I've been at events in the green room talking with folks who are coming up next. So I got to interact with this stuff, and for the most part, there's few exceptions. For the most part, they weren't doing practical apologetics. Mm. They weren't equipping lay people, normal people who don't have advanced degrees. They aren't necessarily equipping them to do this with folks who aren't also educated. They were, for the most part, saying, here's some of the arguments, here's some of the evidence, uh, go do with it what you will. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't that layman's learner that's communicating how to go apply this stuff. Mm. John, talk to the husband whose wife has told him over and over, you don't hear me. You mm-hmm. don't see me. I'm not a priority to you. How would you encourage him To be able to be there for his wife. It's not a bad idea to every once in a while just say, I see you and pause and literally consciously see her where she's at. Tell her one or two things in your own words that she just told you, Hmm. communicating that you've heard her and then identify one or two things that are valuable about her to you. I'm telling you guys, just a guy does that. A husband does mm-hmm. that. So she'll probably cry. Yeah. Anne is tearing up. <laughs> I can't tear <laughs> you know up. what that says? She's mm-hmm. married to a guy who hasn't done a good job. <laughs> no, of you do do that. Now. No, I mean, yeah, now. <laughs> and also learning, I was going to say, learning how to ask for it, because I think... Uh, That's good. Uh, yeah. A lot of times women she don't know... She makes it easy, by yeah. the way. 
She literally will say, tell me 10 different ways that you love me. Yes, I will. Uh, I will say that. If I'm having a particularly insecure day, I'll ask him, you know, tell me 10, why you love me in 10 different ways. Or, you know, so sweet. Why, what are some things why, that you, this is why you're glad that you married me. And, uh, you know, and I'll, of course I'll do it back to him if he asks, but a lot of times, honestly, it's just me asking because I'm having an insecure day. <laughs> <laughs> As we all do. As we yeah. all do. And so he will sit there and he will think and he won't just, you know, rattle off something stupid. He will really sit there and think, okay, what's a new way that I can say this? I mean, this is really rare. Isn't it? That's what I was going to say, Dave. I mean, I'm thinking that. I don't know. You know better because you work with so many women. She has a herd women's night once Mm -hmm. a month up in Michigan. It Mm -hmm. sells out in five minutes and all these Mm -hmm. women. And I was at the last one playing guitar in the band and Mm -hmm. the band never left the stage. Right. Mm -hmm. We just did music through the whole night. And so I got to sit there in a room full of women and listen, and I was shocked at, I didn't hear this. I didn't hear women saying, I've been, I feel seen and heard. I heard the opposite. Yeah. And they weren't lamenting as much as going, here's my story. And the story mm-hmm. was a lot of guys like me and others that just are so focused on themselves and their life, they just put their woman or even their daughter or their mom to the side, like you're not as important as me. They don't even realize they're doing it. Mm. I did it for a while. Mm. But to sit here and listen to you, it's so refreshing to think, wow, this is rare. It shouldn't be rare. And I'm hoping women that are listening are going to think, I am seen, first of all, by God. He sees me. I was going to say, Dave, that's the theme of our nights together Mm. with women is you are seen, you are heard by the God of the universe that created you, that knows you, that knows every cell in your body, and Mm -hmm. he celebrates you. We want to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication, and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change, and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Do you want to impact couples in your neighbourhood? Consider joining with us at Power to Change to lead a home builder's couples marriage workshop that focuses on practically applying the truth of scripture to our lives. Email radio at powertochange.org.au or check out our website, families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab for more information and to get started today. We hope you can join us again on Monday right here for another Family Life Today. Today.